Hi everyone, we are recording from a studio here at Rutgers and hi to all those who are watching and of course hello to the Boston Church. Wish I was there with you in person. As you know, we started Vision 2022 across our churches this past week, Seattle, Ann Arbor, West Lafayette, Urbana-Champaign, other places and here on the East Coast in New York City, we had 63 students take part in EC Vision. It is now day two of Vision. And one of the things we did yesterday was a scavenger hunt. And you needed to check off certain activities uh, like moonwalking on the subway and recording a video of a pun. Uh, I said at Grand Central Station, I would like this student to express himself. And he said, I really like this trip. Okay, painful, I know. Uh, but the students are having fun, and the purpose of that was so that they can get familiar with their surroundings. So thank you for your prayers. Today I'm going to continue in 1 Peter verse by verse, and we're going to cover chapter 2. So let's read this together. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants. Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So verse one, it says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Apostle Peter gives a moral exhortation. And remember, prior to this chapter, Apostle Peter has reminded the churches throughout Asia Minor of their identity as people who have been saved. Now, given the context, then Christian moral exhortation is always based on what God has done, who God is, his work of saving, delivering, and redeeming us. And we respond out of that knowledge. So when we receive moral exhortation as, you know, naggy or as pressure, kind of like how you might have felt annoyed toward that school teacher who kept telling you to stop talking or put away your phone, it's probably because we are forgetting that our desire to live a holy life, that is a life of putting away sin, should be in response to all that God has done. Peter says, so, because of what God has done. Now put away. And what are we to put away? It says put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Now notice these are all sins against one another. Ever since the fall, the default settings on everyone's heart was anti-community, anti-love, anti-others, and consequently anti-God because God is love. And so as we have rejected God, we have signed a certificate to selfishness enmity and competition that has fueled our world ever since. So becoming a Christian represents a reversal to sin's isolating effects. But it doesn't just happen. Christian life involves a deliberate putting away of such things. We're not suddenly zapped into holiness. Now that would be great, 
but the reality is that sin and the powers of darkness continue to rage against our soul and thwart any attempts at holiness. So we are uh, taking, we are to take deliberate steps to put away all these things, and you do this by doing the opposite. So let's go over each of these more specifically. Malice is not merely wishing ill toward others, but a desire to inflict harm. It comes from a basic hostility toward others. So instead, we are to build up and nurture another in the faith. Deceit means to conceal, mislead, and distort. In Christ, we are called to be honest, candid, open, and sincere. Now, this may take time because we are all self-deceived to some extent or have practiced certain presentation styles or, or masks in order that we may fit in. So this means honest sharing of who you are, knowing that we've been forgiven by Christ. Like That is how we are to really live out our faith. Now, related to this, hypocrisy is manipulating others to think highly of me. In in Christ, we should now be characterized by an openness and a truth and a basic integrity before others. Journaling and self-reflection helps. Sharing with your mentor your struggles also punctures that carefully crafted image. Envy is feeling discontent over another's strengths, uh, resenting people's positive view of another. We are to now rejoice over another's strengths, be grateful for how their gifts are being used for the building up of God's kingdom, and praise them. Now, not falsely, but say, so glad God blessed you with that voice. I am tone deaf. Praise the Lord. Something like that. Slander is a vandalism against another's reputation. When we do this, we are ultimately tearing down the fabric of their character and good standing before others. And given that we are social beings, the ever so fragile trust that has been carefully garnered is now compromised. We must therefore be careful with our speech, what we report about another, not jump to conclusions without hearing uh, the other side. So when we put this away, it will have a community forging power and it will serve as a compelling picture of how life was meant to be lived under God's authority. Now, some of you get to see a picture of what happens when we put away such sins as you hang out with older ones at our church. There is an almost attractive quality to their relationships. Now, much of those relationships were possible only because people started to put away these things when they were younger. So let's strive to do the same. In verse 2, it says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Apostle Peter says, As babies long for pure spiritual milk that by it we will grow up into salvation. So taking the first two verses of this chapter, then it means growing up has to do with what you put away and also what you long for. So salvation is something you need to grow up in. So it's not simply that you are saved and that's it. Uh, That's like a baby being born into the world and not ever growing. Now, every time I am away from the Boston church, I come back and although it's been only a couple of weeks, I look at the babies uh, like Philip Wee, Wilson and Rose's son, and I go, man, he's grown, especially his cheeks. And I just want to pinch them. Uh, There is uh, similarly an expectation of growth in spiritual life. So if you were to measure your spiritual growth by a putting away and longing for, I want to ask you this, where would you stand? So reality is that many who are saved don't grow. And though you may not experience immediate consequences of that, 
over time you will just like you don't see long-term differences between children until they become adults. In spiritual life, you see differences over time and then eventually when you become much older in terms of your capacity, that is the amount something uh, can produce. Now, Teslas want to increase its car-making capacities. So the way it translates for us is our ability to bless. The more you put away and grow up in salvation, the more you will increase your capacity to love and care for others and guide others spiritually. So let's strive to grow up by longing for spiritual milk. So what is this spiritual milk? It's not entirely clear from this passage, but most likely it has to do with God's Word, His truths, which has a lot to say about holiness, our sinfulness, who we are and who God is, and His purpose for our lives. So let's long to understand God's Word in this way. Uh, what does God have to say about my behaviors, life, and attitudes? And then seek to obey it. And when we do, we will grow up into salvation. But this requires, of course, effort. And in the process, it will be painful because what we are trying to become in Christ goes against those default settings of our heart. But we are encouraged to, particularly in verse 3, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. In what ways have you experienced this? Uh, maybe during genuine God-centered fellowship and it was so much fun and you come back feeling like these are my friends who I want to share life with. Or a joy in just serving God together like many of the students are doing this summer for Vision where they're getting to experience working hard. Uh, or maybe it was during a moment after DT when the Word of God fills you and is so sweet and you see how God's promises and vision of life aligns with your experience when you have obeyed God. So. Uh, just gave you some examples, but have you had such experiences? If so, if indeed that you've tasted that the Lord is good, then these are some of the elements that cultivate the longing for spiritual milk. Uh, some of the pure joys that expel malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. So let's reflect back on even just this past semester, all that God led you through. The Lord is good. Amen? Then. Let's long now for spiritual milk, put away these sins, and then fight for your soul in that way that we may emerge from this summer spiritually, having grown up so we can be prepared for whatever God has in store this fall. Now, moving on to verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. It says, as you come to him, and who is the one that we come to? It's the living stone. It's Jesus. And it says, he was rejected by men, but in the sight of God, Jesus is precious. Now, it's interesting that what is precious before God is rejected by men. Now, why would that be? Now, one reason is that we operate with a completely different value system. The world values power and ascendancy, self-reliance, and making much of ourselves. From that, we categorize people as valuable only if they are beautiful or smart or competent. All that physical stuff. So Jesus comes into the world and out of his love for us, dies on the cross for our sins because for God, the gigantic reality is that we are perishing spiritually. That is, we are all sinners. So this Jesus who called people to repent and believe, to restore their relationship with God, this Jesus who challenged people to examine not so much what was on the outside, but on the inner workings, the dark habits of the heart that they needed to confront and repent of, was ultimately rejected because they did not recognize their spiritual need. 
and instead focused on the external realities. So when we come to Him, depending on our awareness of our spiritual need for Him, we will either reject Him or see Him as precious. Now this is a sobering thought. In verse 5, it says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, we are being forged together into a spiritual house, which is the imagery of the temple, this glorious edifice in the Old Testament, that, that place where one would come to meet God. We now, as the people of God, become that spiritual house where people come to reconcile with God. Like, what a glorious vision. So though individually we may not be awesome, that's okay, because together we are being built up into this glorious picture of a spiritual house, and we will become that as long as we remain covenantally bound together and we remain faithful to the Great Commission. And there is a builder who will help us. God is taking believers and doing something with our lives that is far grander and for a purpose greater than what is possible individually. Now that is pretty cool. I realized uh, the most awesome version of myself was not worth getting all excited over. There's something about the way we are wired that when we expend all of our energies toward ourselves, that it's not going to be life-giving, but in fact soul-numbing. Because we were meant to love others, to be in relationship with one another. And collectively, we are to honor the one who is truly worthy of our lives. And when we are built together to be this spiritual house, what is possible really is amazing. And so praise be to God for that vision. Now, uh, here, uh, let's take vision 2022 here in New York City. As I was seeing different people working on different stuff for vision, I know we never could have done this on our own. Food prepared by our Hoboken team who lives two miles from where we are staying staff mentors from Boston, Stony Brook, NYU, and Philly, uh, taking precious vacation days to make name tags and prep the rooms and prepare the presentations. It's like an army setting up headquarters on a battlefield. But because God has been forging us, building us up through years of relational history, we are operating like a Marine Corps unit, just efficient, all hands on deck. And boy, I am thankful to be a part of this body of Christ. And together, as a spiritual house, we get to bring people to God. What an amazing thing that because of God's vision of the church, that we can experience God working through us in this way. Now, chapter 5 talks about how this happens through spiritual shepherds, leaders, and mentors. Um, fast forwarding to verse 2 of chapter 5, it says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So God has appointed shepherds who will guide you so that you too will be built up into this spiritual house. So if you are to fulfill God's vision for your life, now more than ever, we need to lean into mentors, that God has placed in your life. So I encourage you to open up to your life to them. Just reach out so that they can help to draw you into this spiritual house. We are called as mentors to guide you so that as a living stone, you will be forged together to be a part of this community of faith that glorifies God. So verse six, going back to chapter one, it says, for it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This is from Isaiah 28, 16. It says cornerstone. And again, those words, 
chosen and precious. So this is referring to Jesus. Jesus is that cornerstone. And what is a cornerstone? Cornerstone is the stone upon which two walls meet and is important for mason work because it's the first stone set during the building process. And you make sure that it is square 90 degrees so that all the subsequent walls are square and properly aligned. In other words, it is the foundation. So what does it mean then that the cornerstone is Jesus? That what it means is when you build your life on him and submit to his authority, your life will not be put to shame, it says. That is, the shame of having the thing that you are trusting, banking on, risking all on, faltering, and proving untrustworthy. Now, this has happened to so many people, so many of us, those who have trusted in wealth, for example, the secure, diversified investments in stocks, uh, their company pension. And of course, I'm using the example of money, but anything that you place your hope in as the cornerstone of your life, romantic relationships, your family, your own wit, I think all at some point will let you down. But we read in verse 6, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Now, why is this? Because in the final analysis at death and judgment, whom will I trust? Only in Jesus, the precious cornerstone, who takes our place. And thanks be to God that Jesus paid it all. So verse 7 follows this idea when it reads, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And I want to talk about honor. That is, we, we are treated with high value, which is different than the world systems, which generally seeks to extract something from us and therefore treats us as more like objects. But the believer is promised honor. Even if the world system does not recognize it, we are honored nobles in God's kingdom, inheritors of an imperishable inheritance worth more than all the gold and treasure in the world and all the kingdoms and their glory. So we must never act like paupers begging and groveling before the world for its crumbs. We have the privilege of knowing Jesus who has granted us eternal life. And that would have been enough. But in addition, he is building us up into a spiritual house that brings others to him. In verse 8, it says, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Uh, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. It says a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Jesus causes others to stumble, not because he sticks his foot out so that you trip and fall and he goes, oops, was that you? No, no. The stumbling is the inevitable aspect of disobeying God's word and exhibiting a lack of trust in him. Now, this is the bitter fruit when we disobey God. The chapter begins by saying, put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, and envy. You don't put it away, then this, then, and then this will happen. You will stumble. You will end up weakening and even destroying relationships. And instead of increasing in your capacity, you will slowly become more and more limited in your ability to bless as time goes on. And even if such a person, uh, glorying in their selfishness, might do well for themselves, they won't be able to stand on that day before God, uh, before our righteous judge. So scripture says none is righteous. No, not even one. And so they will stumble before him as our sins indict us. So in verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, 
but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There is a but, uh, making a contrast to those who are disobedient. But you, and it's plural here, you all are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, that you all may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you all out of darkness. Again, what a glorious destiny in contrast to a life where we stumble along. Instead, our lives are brought into this picture of a people of God, a royal priesthood, a holy nation that is set apart, a people for his own possession. It says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. In other words, once you were a lone stone out there rolling around an individual with no ties to anyone, unanchored, unmoored to any tradition, to any purpose larger than yourself. And it may have seemed preferable to be free, where you don't have to answer to anyone but your own voice. But we are seeing now the limitations of such a life of radical individualism in the form of increased stress and anxiety, even depression. Uh, We get why this is the case. There are fewer and fewer people with whom people can share their worries with. They lack the resources to cope with life's burdens. This is just not good particularly now in a day of much stress, objectively, like COVID still running amok, shootings and racial tension uh, and natural disasters. And you combine those realities with this atomistic detached life. And this is a perfect storm causing an inability to cope and leading to unprecedented levels of stress and anxiety as recent studies have shown. So God's vision for our lives counters this. And it's not you, the individual, but us, a people built on the foundation of Christ. We were not meant to be a lone stone rolling around that serves no other purpose than to just simply exist. We were meant to be forged together as living stones that rises to become a temple of God. And the mortar is the word of God. And together, there's not only strength there, but we are given an identity, a purpose, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. God delivered us from this life focused on the self. All of this because of God's mercy. And praise the Lord for that. What an awesome destiny that God calls us to. From the lone stone purposelessness kind of life that was built on a trust in things that are bound to disappoint. To a life where together we can bring people into his eternal kingdom. So let's recommit to this vision, to the church's family, to your life group as a church in this summer of vision. We don't know where all of this is headed, but God seems to be mobilizing us together for a purpose to reach the youth who we are seeing are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And that would be bad enough, but it is especially worrisome given the spiritually toxic times that we are living in. So let's rise to become these living stones as God destined us to be. Throughout history, when times were rough and the infrastructure of civilization started to crumble, the church has consistently risen to the challenge and become a strong source of life and hope in the gospel. Now more than ever, the world needs a compelling picture of how to live life. And may we as a church provide that picture, royal priesthood, holy nation, built on the cornerstone chosen and precious of Jesus. So, uh, amen. Let's pray right now. Dear Lord, we thank you that you have taken the individual stones of our lives and forged us 
into a spiritual house, a royal priesthood, who can now declare your excellencies to the world that needs uh, the gospel more, more than ever. Father, we thank you that out of your mercy, you saved us. So out of that knowledge, help us to put away the sin that destroys and instead long for the pure spiritual milk that we may grow up in our salvation and can be forged into this temple that magnifies your name. Father, we lift up Vision 2022. May this be a time where all of us can get behind what you are doing through prayer and by offering whatever resources we can, time, money, or abilities. May you be honored and glorified through it. And may you be with all of us that we can continue to build our lives on the foundation, the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Well, amen. Um, really excited about what God is doing uh, through Vision. So please continue to pray for all of that that's going on church-wide. And so uh, excited about the uncharted territory God is leading us to. Praise the Lord that all of us get to be a part of what He is doing. So see you next time.